Amen. Hey, thank you so much for the uh, the opportunity, brother. I really appreciate it. Um, it's such a you know today I'm reminded that today is 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 uh, such a great privilege, the sacred privilege and responsibility that we have um, as pastors, as ministers, but as a people, as a church of God. Um, we have this great privilege and responsibility, sacred. It really is, and it's so humbling to be here today. And to have this uh, this opportunity, so I'm very thankful for the opportunity. Thank you for sharing with me this ministry, and ultimately, I thank God for the opportunity. Let us have a word of prayer, Father. We just take a moment to to pause before you, and Lord, may our hearts be open to your word. Move me out of the way, Father, and use me for your glory. I offer myself a sacrifice for your glory that you would use me, Lord. I pray that you would speak truth to our hearts, that we would see you more that we would know you more today and that we would walk from this place changed to proclaim your truth despite what we may face and to stand upon your word that is eternal and it will surely be victorious. It does not return void and it cuts straight through all the way to the core of the matter. Father, your word, your spirit, your power, we need and we ask all these things through your son Jesus and by the spirit. Amen. I have this great responsibility and this great privilege of taking soldiers and their families on retreats. And a lot of times through the curriculum that I share, uh, we have, you know, certain statements that that are that are that are used throughout the curriculum and throughout the training of those couple of days. And one of the statements I use in marriage training in reference to one of the curriculums is you must lead your heart. And don't follow it. Lead your heart and don't follow it. Because, you know, a lot of times our heart can can deceive us. You know, a lot of times we'll hear things like you should follow your heart. But that's not always safe or the right thing. And so in marriage, it applies perfectly. Yes. You know, you must lead your heart. And, 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 and don't follow your heart in marriage. Well, it's not just marriage that we can apply that simple truth. It's it's in all spheres of life that we can apply that. Um, And so I just want I want you to keep that in mind uh, as we go through uh, today's message. You know, sometimes we you and I, we follow our hearts in many areas of our lives. And so this very truth can can apply in many areas. Today, we're going to talk about the proclamation of the gospel, having an eternal response Despite the resistance. Today we're going to talk about the proclamation of the gospel having an eternal response despite the resistance. Now, before I read the text, I want to give you a little bit of background information. I'm from Louisiana, and so I want to use a term. It's called lanyap. Anybody know what lanyap means? Okay, great. So lanyap is the extra. Right. It's so here's some lanyap for you. Here's some extra information, the background to some of this text that we're going to read today. We're going to be reading out of Acts, but it's important to know that Acts 1 8 is like the subject key verse of the whole book. And basically, this is what it states. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem In all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And so when you see the book of Acts, when Jesus ascends to heaven and then the the disciples take the mission, the church begins first in Jerusalem, 
and then expands into Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's the, the, how the book of Acts unfolds geographically and with the storyline. So in, it's important to know that they're out proclaiming the gospel, and that's what they're doing. And they're facing resistance, and they're facing the response of the world. And they, too, have a choice on how they're going to react in that. And so we see the church growing. We see the church expanding. But we see the church being attacked and, 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 and uh, oppressed, suppressed. Well, the attempt to do that. And so it's important to know Acts 1.8. Now, I want to talk about Philippi just a little bit. Because here in this section of Acts that we're going to be reading in chapter 16, Paul uh, is, is, is with uh, Luke and potentially uh, Timothy and Silas, and they're on, on, a, on a trip, and they're in the city of Philippi. It's important to know Philippi is, is a very, very key city because there is a road that goes from there all the way to, to Europe, to the rest of the, the known world of the time. It's important to know that Philippi is a major port city. It's right there on the Aegean Sea, and that's so very important. So you can see the strategy and why Paul would want to go there to continue to spread the gospel because it's such a, a key geographical location. And so with that said, it's also a place of many religions, of many beliefs, of many ideas. Now, there's a lot of money there involved. Uh, the, Roman, uh, the Roman army has been established there. A lot of them have retired there. They're in their retirement homes, so to speak. So it's important to know a little bit about Philippi. Also want to specifically in my in my my giving the lanyap to to some of this the scripture is Apollo is a Greek god that is worshipped and very and directly connected to Apollo is the is this uh, uh, demon that possesses people to give them the ability to tell the future. To, 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 to give oracles, to, to give a divine statement about God and, and what's going to happen in your life or with the future. And so it's important to know that Apollo was one God of many there uh, that relates to today's text that we're going to read. Now, it's very important to know what an oracle is, an individual who can tell the future and divine. I just want to help us out a little bit here with keeping this in mind. A person who delivers authoritative, wise, or highly regarded and influential pronouncements. That's important. A divine communication or revelation. Any person or thing serving as an agency of divine communication. Any utterance made or received as authoritative, extremely wise, or infallible. That's how Apollo was viewed. And these individuals that had this demon that were possessed would speak things and would be respected. And seen as that's gospel truth. Very important to see in the book of Acts in Philippi in this great hustle and bustling city. Today we're going to read from Acts chapter 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts chapter 16. Verses 16 through 30. Acts chapter 16 verses 16 through 30. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bond servants of the most high God 
who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. But Paul was greatly annoyed. And he turned and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews and are proclaiming customs, which is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. The crowd rose up together against them and the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison house were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Today, we're going to talk about resistance. We're going to talk about a crafty resistance of the enemy. That's the first thing. The second thing we're going to talk about is a response, a response of the world and how the world responds to the proclamation of the gospel, to the truth being being sent forward. And the third thing we're going to talk about is a reaction, the Christian reaction, how we as believers should react when when we face resistance, when we see the response of the world. First, resistance. Before we talk about resistance, I just want to share with you just a, a, a short illustration Many of you have have gotten jobs or were about to get a job or were you were you were submitting an application uh, for a job and you needed to get referrals. Yes, you had to get people to speak on your behalf to endorse you to say that, yeah, this person's good to go. You wouldn't I personally wouldn't get somebody like Oprah Winfrey. Okay, if I wanted to to be the pastor at some church, I would say, yeah, I want you guys call Oprah Winfrey. She'll speak on my behalf. Well, that wouldn't be a good endorsement, I don't believe. She's not reformed and she's not evangelical Christian. Yes, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't get uh, many others that, that I could go down the list. But the point is, is you have to be careful who endorses you. Because now what they may say, you may give them the authority to now what what it, what it is that they say can can have uh, uh, authority in people's lives. We have to be very careful. Who endorses us? So here in verse 16 and 18, what do we see? It says it happened that when 
as, as we were going to the place of prayer, again, this is Paul and Silas, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling, falling after Paul and us. She kept crying out. This is important. These men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Is that true or false? That's true. That's a very true statement. So so why would Paul get aggravated? Why would he get annoyed? Why would he get frustrated? Why would that get under his skin? Why would that bother him? Because we're seeing an endorsement. Even though that's true, we can no longer have this, this, this teaching, this individual be acknowledged to have authoritative place in society. And, and, and what we're trying to do in the church. So Paul recognized that. You see how crafty the enemy is? When you're proclaiming the gospel, the enemy is very, very crafty. We have to be very, very careful. I think it's interesting, too, as you see some very worldly authorities starting to be exposed here in the text. Coming to the surface, you see a, a, the, the authority of Satan really rising uh, here. And then you see it more in verses 19 through 24. So before we jump into that, I want you to see the spiritual authority and the worldly authority. I want you to see those two contrasts throughout the text as we are as we are reading. So that's resistance. Crafty resistance. Be very careful of the endorsements of the enemy. The second point is response. Let's see the response to the world and what Paul is doing. Verses 19 through 24. Verse 19. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion. Isn't this amazing? What are they focused on? They're not focused on an individual who's possessed. They're not focused on an individual who is who is is shackled by by a demon. They could care less. They are worried about what? Their profit, their way of life, their ideas, their right. They they can't hear the God. They don't want to hear the gospel because the gospel threatens their way of life. What they want. That's the bottom line. What they think life should be. I think that's very interesting. You see the suppression of truth. I also think something very interesting here in these verses. In verse 20, they were accused of what? Throwing the city into confusion. Isn't Satan the master of confusion? Why is Satan pointing his finger at the gospel saying this is confusing? This is not right. You're the you're the person that's causing the problem. That's not the case. I think it's pretty ironic that they're accused of bringing confusion when really on the flip side, they're bringing truth that's going to set a person free. And it has. But they don't even care about that. They care about their way of life, their truth, their ideas, their beliefs. They are they're accused of of causing confusion in verse 22, they are stripped. I want you to just imagine you're doing what God has called you to do. God has called you to go and proclaim the gospel, to be a faithful man or woman of God. 
And here you are stripped in public. That's pretty humiliating. Can you imagine me grabbing somebody right now, bringing them up here in front of you and stripping them in front of you? Can you imagine if that was you? That would be absolutely destructive. That's what happened. They were stripped in public for being faithful. They were beaten with rods. And then, oh, then they were brought to a a place to recover. No, they were brought to a prison. Shackled. Discomfort. Put in prison to, to mistreated, to continue to be taken advantage of, oppressed, beaten. Their life had been taken from them. This is the response of the world. When we proclaim the gospel and we stand on truth, this is the way the world will respond. So how are you going to react? You see, a lot of times I think it's interesting. We pray that God would take something away. The pain, the suffering. And I'm the first person to pray for myself about that. (laughs) I don't like being sick. I don't like being hurt. I don't like people to to die and, and and, and be taken away from me. I don't like to see death. But have we ever thought maybe that's God's will? Have we ever accepted that suffering is a part of God's will? You know, the scripture is very clear. Jesus said, if anybody wants to follow me, who in here has raised their hand to say they're going to follow Christ? I'm assuming just about everybody in here, but maybe not everybody. But we have all said we're going to follow Christ. What's what's the scripture say? If any man shall follow me, he must do what? Take up his cross. Bear his cross. And follow me. Jesus set the example. He led the way. And he said, follow me. This is this could be very well my will for your life. You know, we have to be very careful that we don't get very comfortable in our American Christianity. In, in, in our in our freedom, in our own rights. I'm not saying we shouldn't be in politics. I'm not sh- saying that we shouldn't be out there fighting for the right things. But bearing your cross is a part of what God's called you to do. Now, I'm not saying you need to go out and you need to say, I- I'm going to be a martyr. I want to be a martyr. Don't seek after martyrdom, but seek the strength to endure it. Do not seek out martyrdom. Because that is selfish and sinful. But seek out the strength to endure your persecution. What is your reaction going to be? You know, I I can't help but see very clearly here a governing authority, a people of a great nation, have their own ideas, their own way of life, their own agenda, And yet when the truth or proclamation or a religion is at their door knocking, threatening their way of life. They now pounce on this proclamation and begin to try to suppress the truth. And totally miss out on the sin that's happening in the oppression of the individual. But yet we'll take that individual and bring them in and say, this is okay. This is what we want. This is what they want. I hope you can make the connection from what I'm saying. 
Just recently, our nation passed on a federal level. Of what marriage looks like, of what of what what has been accepted now in our land by law. But yet the Christian is seeing the one as intolerant. Well, listen. You, you, can, you can be a Christian of tolerance. Do you understand that? Well, you have to know what definition of tolerance means. The definition of tolerance is not, is, is, is not accepting or respecting other people for what they believe and stand for. Because you can respect others. You can treat human beings with dignity. But you don't have to believe what they believe. So how is a Christian seen as intolerant? It makes no sense. We are tolerant. We should be tolerant. But it doesn't mean we believe in what they believe. And so I want to give you some practical advice. Remain in the world, but not of it. Don't isolate yourself. That's what Jesus called us to do. That's who he met with. That's who he engaged with, who he encountered with, who he was accused of being with and that being wrong. So remain in the world, but not of it. Listen well to others with compassion and sincerity. To understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean that you have to believe what they believe and adopt what they believe. But you have to be very careful. Because if you don't stay rooted and founded in your faith and in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be easily deceived. Easily wooed into the beliefs and the ideas of this world. It's important to stay connected. So therefore, never neglect, ignore or compromise the truth. You know, I had a friend, a friend who grew up in Liberia, Africa, and, uh, and, and his parents were there during the Civil War, and they were stuck in their home for like six to nine months, literally were stuck in their home, and they couldn't leave because Civil War was going on, and, and there were people being, it was, it was just, it was unrest, and there was no order, it was total chaos, and people were being killed, and it was very, very dangerous. As a matter of fact, these, these individuals... Uh, um, broke into Kenneth's home and, and attacked his father and beat him uh, uh, very badly uh, with a hammer or something like that. I can't remember what they beat him with, but they beat him very bad. So this was a, a very tough time for him. They ate sardines for like six to nine months. That's how they survived. Okay. My friend Kenneth had a, had a, a friend who was a girl next door. They were also missionaries. They shared the same area and took part in the same uh, mission work. And one day he went to, to see her to, to check on, on his friend. And he found them. He was the first to find them dead in their own home, the daughter and the mother. You know, they, they, the white people there were seen as white devils. That's what they called them. They called them white devils. Um, and so they did not like them. They were there and, and they, they faced a lot, of, a lot of persecution and a lot of hardship. Well, here he found his friend and mother who had been killed in cold blood well long story short they found the individuals they brought them who, who they found the individuals who who committed this great crime brought them before the authority uh, the, the authorities and the father was there the father of this daughter and husband and they looked to him and they said what do you want to happen and the father said i forgive them he shared the gospel and the story goes that they became Christians, some of those people in that audience that witnessed this grace and this love. What's your reaction going to be when you face persecution, when you face hardship? 
Luke 9.23 tells us we must bear our cross. Again, don't seek martyrdom, but seek the strength to endure martyrdom. How do you do it? I mean, I need to know how to do it. I I see you're calling me to bear my cross, but how do I do it? Scripture that came to mind was Hebrews 12 verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside the encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the what before him? For the joy set before him was able to endure the cross. What's the joy? It's eternity with his creation, with the Father in heaven. That's how we endure. We keep our eyes fixed on Christ, on Jesus. We talked about resistance. The enemy is very crafty in how he brings resistance. We talked about a worldly response. And how the world is going to respond. And why would we be surprised? And we have to be very careful. And we too have been called to bear a cross. We talked about a reaction. The Christian reaction. What that looks like. You know, the prodigal son is interesting. Boy, preachers will say, you're that prodigal son, young man. You need to come home. That's not the point of the story. Do you realize that? It's not. The point of the story is about the love of the father. The son did what? He shamed his father's name. He embarrassed him. He did. Think about it, dads. If your son went out and did that, I mean, that would be hard to deal with. After all I've given you, after all I've done and gave my life, changed how many diapers, (laughs) paid for your school, took time to teach you. And you're going to do this? Let's put it in perspective. I'd want to whoop him up and down the road. I'm sorry, but I believe in spanking. Not beating, but spanking. And then loving after. But that's not what happened. He said, let's celebrate. My son is now home. He was lost. What a beautiful story. How about Philemon and Onesimus? You're familiar with the story, yes? Onesimus did the same thing. Philemon entrusted him with all of his livelihood. He kept his books. He took care of all of his goods. He trusted him. He ate at his table. I'm sure they had a close relationship. Onesimus leaves Philemon, stole from him. By law, he could have him killed for leaving. Paul says, no, we don't roll like that. That's the way of the world. So he writes him a letter and he says, Love him, accept him on my behalf. I'll pay whatever it is that he's taken. What a beautiful story of love and grace. That's our reaction in this world. Doesn't mean you you compromise your faith. Just because you respect people and and you find yourself amongst them doesn't mean you, you, you have to throw away your own beliefs. But be careful that you don't. Be careful that you stand on the word of, of God and that you trust in his power. Because at the end, what happens? Spiritual authority is much greater than worldly authority. It may not appear in the moment. Because guess what? Who was listening to Paul and Silas while they were praying and singing hymns? Who was paying attention? You never know who's watching what you're going through. You never know what witness you're becoming or being in the moment when God's using you in your suffering and in your struggle. 
So I want to encourage you to react in such a way that Christ would have you to react. Today we've learned this in conclusion. We've learned that our reaction must be that of Christ. We are to bear our cross. We've also learned that we must be ready and prepared for the world's response. We also must be aware of the crafty resistance of the enemy. Jesus is our authority. Jesus is our authority. Stick to Him. Stick to the plan. Hold tight. Bear your cross. Encourage one another. Jesus is our authority because He's the name above all names. He's the wise King that we just sang about. He overcomes. Brothers and sisters, be warriors, wise warriors, gracious giants. Live and proclaim the truth boldly to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Oh, Lord, it's easy to talk it. Man, it's easy to talk. Gosh, it's so easy. But, Father, I'm praying, Lord God, and when I'm faced with that moment, When we are faced with that moment, as we walk here from today, we may face it when we go to a restaurant, when we're at the red light, when we go home. Father, that we would stand for truth. That we would respect others. That we would be very keen and aware of the craftiness of the enemy. And Lord, help us to respond in such a manner that glorifies you. That we may hold what we have. That we may stand our ground. And not give it up despite the resistance. So, Father, be honored and glorified. Thank you. I praise you. Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Worthy to be praised and worthy of our lives. We pray all this through your Son and by the Spirit. Amen.